in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground immortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is edited and adapted from Ephesians 4, verses 6 through 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The gift of this grace is in itself unlimited. My guest today is Dave Keita. He's a man with a pretty incredible story of blessings of miracles and also the gift of grace that I just read from Ephesians. Dave is an employee of Crawford Broadcasting, which is the parent company of KKPZ, the station you happen to be tuned into right now. And he is generously here today to share his story. Dave, I'm glad you're here. And I'm curious, are you speaking to us from your work cubicle? I'm actually in one of the studios. I'm in the studio where I make um, The Good News with Angie Austin. I believe uh, that gets played on KKPZ, too. It sure does, you consummate professional. How fun to have you here, a uh, broadcaster as well, and nice, and you have also a great story. And I want to know, are you having a fabulous day today? I am having a fabulous day. It's been uh, wonderful. The weather is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's a little hot here in Denver, but uh, man, it's great, and I've been looking forward to telling my story to you for a couple of weeks now, and so I'm kind of excited. Yeah, I am glad. And one more thing. Tell us something that made you smile today. Well, I got to come to work. I, I saw my beautiful wife, and I got to come to work, and I made a wonderful um, commercial today for one of our great sponsors, ARC Thrift Stores. And I get to interview uh, their ambassadors, and I made this really great commercial today. It's been making me smile all day. Yay. Normally people say something food-related, like, boy, was that burger juicy. But I think yours was much better. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave was blessed with a huge miracle, really a truly amazing story. And I think, Dave, sometimes it's best to start in present day and sort of go back. But I think in your case, really, because this is such a special story, starting at the very beginning would really be just a fantastic way to go about this. So the floor is yours, my friend. Sure. So there's a, there's a little prelude then. So it's the very, very beginning. My, my son, Jason, was born on December 1st. 2013. Um, he was born a few weeks early, and so we had to spend a little bit of time in the NICU. Um, I had a little bit more experience than my wife at being in the hospital because um, my sister um, is disabled, and she's got a rare genetic disease that has got us in and out of, of the hospital um, my, pretty much my entire childhood. So I was a little bit more used to it, but it was still a very, very scary situation. It was very cold that day. Um, but he he pulled through, and he was great. He was just a couple weeks early, and, man, he's just such a great kid. Um, and so fast forward three years, or no, four years exactly, <clears throat> to December 1st, 2017. That was the day that we got terrible, terrible news. So, um, I'm sorry, let me start a couple days before that. Basically, what happened is I had picked Jason up from his daycare after a long day of work, and he was complaining about a stomach ache. Um, and, you know, I mean, he's a kid. Who knows what he ate? I wasn't sure what had happened. But, you know, I was like, maybe you just need to go to potty, little, little boy, right? And then he was just like, no, no, no. He doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know what it is. By the time we got home, he was doubled over. 
And I could, I didn't know what to do, so I was like, oh, man, I, you know, this kid probably just has to go to the bathroom. But I'm like, I don't want to take any chances. So um, luckily, we live not very far from Children's Hospital of Colorado, which is one of the best children's hospitals in the country. We are so blessed and so lucky to have all those amazing professionals there. It takes a special type of healthcare professional to work in a children's hospital. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we go and we spend a couple of hours in the um, emergency room or the, it's like the little outpatient care for the emergency room for the kids there. And um, by then, my wife had gotten off of work, and I was taking care of our younger son, too, Bennett. Um, so we were in, and it started getting really boring. And so we didn't know what to do. His stomach hurt really bad. So what we did was decided to take an X-ray of his bowels, you know, his belly, to see if there was something in there, if there's something we needed to see. And so while we were waiting for that, you know, those things take a lot of time, I actually took Bennett home so that we could eat dinner because he was getting restless. He's 18 months younger than Jason, so he's just a little boy in this emergency room, and he wasn't sick. So um, I was like, okay, let's just go take care of Bennett. And my wife stayed with Jason. Well, about uh, about 10 minutes after I left, um, which I didn't know at this point, but they came in and said, hey, we need to take another x-ray of his chest uh, because we think we may have found something. So... Um, about a half an hour later, I get a call from my wife saying they found something in this x-ray of his chest. And um, I panicked at first. I, didn't, I mean, it was like getting kicked in the stomach. I didn't mm. know what it was. But I did know that I had to find a place for Bennett to go, so I took him to my sister-in-law's. Because it was, it, was you know, it was the end of November, so um, that's flu pr- protocol. So uh, somebody as young as Bennett can't go to a hospital because I've been instructed to immediately drive all the way across town to the other branch of the children's hospital so that we can go to the sixth floor and be on the cancer floor. Oh, my gosh, that word. That's, they actually said the cancer floor on the sixth floor? Yep, the sixth oh, floor my is goodness. the cancer floor, and it's like there's, there's this special uh, lengthy, it's a minute-long lengthy hand-washing protocol because the kids who are in there are getting bone, bone marrow transplants, the kids who are in there are getting... Um, chemotherapy and all sorts of different therapies and 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 I I mean I didn't know what to think I didn't I mean this is something like I've never experienced before and like I said I have experience with doctors and with hospitals but nothing like this and I mean it's a father's worst nightmare it's anybody's worst nightmare um, so I I get up there I, I finally can get Bennett um, you know and I grabbed some stuff because uh, my wife and I and Jason were going to need some things because it didn't look like we were going to be getting out anytime soon. And so it had gone from my little boy has a bellyache to this completely different situation where we have to drive all the way up. It's pretty much the opposite side of town from us. And we're on this, the cancer floor with all these kids, and I was terrified. And so we have to uh, run some tests, and we have to do some things. We have to figure out what this stuff is. And um, so a few days later, that was the 28th, a few days later on his birthday, his fourth birthday, we get 100% confirmation my son has neuroblastoma. And you probably never heard of this before, correct? I had never heard of it. It's a very, very rare disease. It's a very, it only affects children. And, um, you know, in 2017, it was a little under 20,000 kids were diagnosed with neuroblastoma. 
I, I mean, my heart sinks now just thinking about it. It was, it was, uh, you know, but we were surrounded by these professionals, and um, the way that uh, my wife and I deal with things is like, okay, um, what do we do now? Let's just try to figure this out, and let's, as long as we do it together, we know we can overcome anything. Well, um, at that time, I actually had been getting some text messages about work from Angie Austin, who over the years has become a friend, and, uh, you know, she's a colleague and mentor, but uh, she's also become a friend. And um, I, I was trying to answer her text messages, but at the same time I was so distracted I hadn't told anybody about any of this yet. So and she was one of the first people that I told. And immediately she started prayer chains. There was hundreds of people sending me messages. You know, I think uh, one of our good friends from the show, Beatrice Bruno, she started a prayer chain. I think there was a, a 1,200 people or something on this group call praying for my son. And, I mean, that was, that was, I think that was the best first step, just because I think that it was the effectiveness of that and, and the energy that we received from that and the support that we got from all those people is it, invaluable. I, couldn't, I, I don't know if I would have been able to keep going at, at, at times. Yeah, you weren't alone. You were held by all those invisible hands. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, and we felt it. I mean, it was it was palpable be, be, just because there was so much that that was happening, and and I didn't know what to do. You know, I was just thinking about it. Now, even I get lightheaded a little bit. You know, and it, and and the lump comes directly back to my throat, and and you know, my the pit of my stomach is just like in a knot, and I did I don't know what to do. I want to be there for my son. And um, I have a hard time sitting still. You know, I'm the guy with my son who plays with him, and we jump around, and my wife is the one who cuddles with him. And so I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what this was. So uh, uh, after we figured out what it was, and I started doing a lot of reading about it, because uh, kind of information collection is what uh, will comfort me, and information connect, you know, if I learn about this, then I know where we're going to go with it, and I, I won't be surprised by it. And, and then we had to prepare for this. Um, it wasn't risky per se as for a surgery, but we had to prepare for this. It, it was a, a biopsy of it because they had to get part of this tumor that was in his chest. And the tumor from the x-ray, I mean, this thing is big. It was big. It was, uh, it was growing out of his spine, um, just kind of behind his lung in front of his shoulder blade, so it's kind of in his back. Um, and but kind of on the side, and it was um, maybe eight eight and a half inches long by about two and a half inches wide, and it was just kind of uh, it, the shape of it. I always said it kind of reminds me of one of those really fancy chicken fingers from uh, like a, a restaurant where the it's the big chicken fingers, uh, like the shape and the size of it. And so uh, we need to get in there and get some of it. And the, the problem with something like that is a tumor that size and a boy that small is the tumor is going to bleed profusely, and it's still inside of his body. And so we endured, you know, first off, we're dealing with the fact that, oh, my goodness, we have cancer. Second, our little boy is not feeling well, and he's stuck in this hospital. And third, now next is we have to go through with this surgery where, He's going to have what they call a chest tube. So basically it was a drain that was near the part of the tumor that they cut off that was going to be bleeding profusely for we don't know how long. Did you find that people maybe in their lack of 
having anything better to say. We're saying, oh my gosh, eight inches, how come you didn't know or how come you didn't find this sooner? Well, that was something that we actually had asked to, and we were wondering, you know, because it's actually um, the only way you're going to find something like this is with a chest x-ray. Um, and, and, you know, like where did this come from and what, what happened and how do we not know about something so big? And, yes, I mean, we asked that too, so I just felt like it was a natural question. You know, I wasn't offended by that at all. And um, it's, it's kind of funny because even to this day, whenever, you know, we do MRIs and we do a lot of checkups um, now, and there's a whole checklist of things to go through. And my younger son, Bennett, has had asthma his entire life, and he has eczema. And so there's all sorts of complications involved with that. So all these things that we don't check off for Jason, we do check off for Bennett. And so we, if it was in Bennett, we would have found it way, way earlier. Mm-hmm. And during my, uh, and, but, but it's not because but Jason has always been so healthy and he's always been so great. We've never had a reason to take an x-ray of his chest. Um, and then through my research, I found out that, I mean, I just started getting bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. I mean, neuroblastoma is a terrible, terrible disease that I, I, I mean, I hate that it exists. The name is terrible. Just on, I don't even know what it is, and the name is just terrible. Right, and it's just, um, it's, it's a terrible thing, and it just it, it affects only young people and only these people that, that, you know, that haven't done anything, you know, not that anyone has done something to deserve cancer, but they haven't done anything bad to their bodies or whatever that what may cause cancer. It's just something that just happens. Um, and neuroblastoma is, is very rare, and it happens just in utero. So when you're about five or six weeks, uh, you know, when a uh, woman is five or six weeks pregnant, one cell mutates, and then it just mutates and mutates and mutates, and the rest of the cells don't realize it, and that's where it comes from. And they don't know why that happens. They don't know where it comes from. There's no, like, cause for it. It just happens. And he was born with this then? Yeah, I mean, yeah, anyone that has it is, was born with it. It's not like something that, that you can get from, uh, you know, from chemicals or from something like that. So and so he had it his entire life and that was like this weird thing like how did we not know but he was always so healthy there's it's, there's no way to know you know and then because um, more often than not what will happen is you won't notice for a while because it's spread so far that it starts affecting your nerves that's why it's called neuroblastoma because it grows out of nerves and it it would start it would start making his fingers tingle at first a lot of times that will happen or or it'll make you uh, your legs weak. And then it starts making, and then as it spreads, it does all sorts of crazy things. It can spread all over the body. And I'm reading everything I can about this because I want to know what I can do to beat this, what I can do to learn about it, what I can do to be there for him, what I can expect for what to happen. And I just keep coming up on stuff, um, you know, uh, most of the time. A child with neuroblastoma, if you get... If you find it after about 18 months old, then it's really bad news. It's, you know, if you find it after about 18, before 18 months, a lot of times there's treatment, it's small enough, and there's things you can do where they can um, kind of stave it off and they can um, stop it, and there's treatments, you know, I mean, into, you know, including chemotherapy and, and things like that. But after that, it's, it's, dire. Typically, it's very, very dire, and it's, it's a, just a terrible disease that affects innocent, 
sweet little people. Have reading about this information and learning what could have happened if it wasn't caught or if you didn't have any signals or maybe if you just didn't pay attention to the tummy ache, is that painful for you? Do you feel blessed because you found out? What's your reaction to that? You know, I... It's, it's kind of a weird, a calming feeling, like collecting the information for myself and knowing these things would make me feel kind of more calm and less, like, panicky and less like there was nothing we can do. I mean, some of it's told me there's not really much you can do. Some doctors were saying that, and, and you know, there's nothing you can do, but we can, we can try to start from now and try to battle it, even though it'll be an uphill battle. And I took comfort in just kind of knowing that. It's funny because my wife is the complete opposite. My wife just wanted to kind of avoid all the information and just be there with Jason in the hospital. And as often as she could, she was there with him just kind of being the calming, this calming sense in the room and kind of a calming sense for him and making sure that he knew that we were always there. And, you know, and there was always something to go get, you know, food or there was always some more clothes to get or, you know, he's got... He's got this blankie that he's had since he was a baby that I forgot the first time. So it's like things like that, running back and forth to the house, plus kind of juggling Bennett, who was younger, and he, he wasn't allowed in the hospital because of the flu protocol. And, and so it was, it was kind of a difficult thing, um, trying to juggle everything. And so a lot of my downtime sitting there, rather than ruminating about what could happen, I would read about what we could do or learn more about this disease and and then um, uh, I ran across the stages. There's, there's stages of cancer, and typically they go one to four, and one means it's contained in one place, two means it's spread a little bit, three means it's spread to the other side of the body, and more, four means it's completely widespread across your body. That's the typical stages of any kind of cancer. And then I read about this part called stage 2B of neuroblastoma, which as soon as I read that, I was, I was like... This is it. This is where my prayers are going. This is what everybody start praying for this, and everybody start thinking about this. Because 2B means, yes, it's spread a little bit. However, it means that it's grown into a hard tumor that can be removed without chemotherapy. It's very rare. It's, it's one of the rarest um, diagnoses that neuroblastoma gets. Um, it doesn't happen very often. Um, in fact, last time I checked, Jason was the only person who actually ended up receiving stage 2B diagnosis in 2017 of all the 20,000 kids that got it. Did you start the Facebook group because you wanted prayer for the focus of the results of the test to come out a certain way? Was it because you wanted to provide information to people and you just couldn't give that because you and your wife were so busy in the hospital? Or what was sort of an impetus here to get that out? Sure, it was kind of a mix, uh, you know, because when we first got the diagnosis and I didn't know... Uh, we didn't know what was going to happen, and, um, you know, everything was up in the air, and we were looking down the barrel at, you know, up to four or five years of chemotherapy or something like that. I didn't know what to do, and at the same time, I want a lot of people, first, yes, I want the prayers of everybody. I need the support of everybody out there who I can, um, but I also have aunts and uncles and parents and cousins and everybody that I can't just text individually because that's so much, and everybody wants to know so I thought this was kind of a double whammy where I'm going to be able to get the support and the prayers from everybody, but I'm also going to be able to spread the information quickly without having to send out whatever it was, you know, hundreds of text messages. 
Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I think people realize that after the fact that there's something either called, you know, a rainbow bridge or a Facebook or one of these social media sites where you can have centralized information, everybody can see what's going on, meal train, all of those things. And I, I think that this is so fantastic you did this because it allows us even who aren't necessarily friends with you to take a look and watch and receive and give blessings to you. Well, and that was another blessing that we found from it is um, not only did we connect to people within our families, my wife and I, in, in our families, that I did, we don't even know. I'd never met any of these cousins that have come through. or I mean, Karina's never even met several of the people, aunts and uncles, um, that have come through and given us support through this. But then also just people that we didn't know, people that are just from the community, people that are, from every, are just from Facebook that uh, followed our story and started showing support. And the outpouring of support that we got was, I mean, it's restored my faith in humanity. It restored, it restored my faith in God. It's just listening, watching all these people and seeing this um, amount of, of uh, support that we got, you know, just from people that didn't know us at all, that just wanted to know, wanted us to know that they were thinking about us and, and praying for Jason and hoping for the best and everything like that. So it was... It was pretty amazing, and, um, you know, typically um, social media has kind of a bad rap of, uh, you know, causing all sorts of bad things and spreading bad news and things like that, but I thought, I found that it, it was doing just the opposite in this case. I read a post that you put on a Christmas day, and it just simply says, we made it. Merry Christmas, everyone. This was all we wanted this year. How right. profoundly beautiful from a daddy for his little boy. Right, that was a really special Christmas. So that was Christmas 2017, and that all came about because um, as we were going through, and I actually had asked the doctors about stage 2B, and I remember um, our doctor, her name was um, Savannah. I can't remember her last name right now. Um, Anyway, our doctor, she was a very, very special kind of person. She had just so much compassion and so much... She had this special thing that I can't ever put my finger on that you need in order to be a doctor in a situation like that. Nice. Yeah, but, isn't that uh, beautiful? She, yeah, I mean, it, she was great. She was just so... And then the nurses there, they worked so hard and they were so great. I'll never forget, Rikia was the one that was there the night that we had the, the chest tube. And I, was, I didn't sleep a wink that night. I was just making sure my son was okay and he couldn't roll over. And, you know, so much blood was coming through this tube. And it was just like... It was just so heart-wrenching in Washington, but she was never, she was there the whole time, and I, I, I hope that she's doing well, and uh, I try to stop by the hospital every once in a while. We, we will go um, give donations of toys and things, because those kinds of things made all the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had started asking about stage 2B, and Savannah had kind of like, she didn't roll her eyes, but it was more like a, I wouldn't get my hopes up about that, right? And then it was weird, so a lot of things started kind of falling into place in, in, in this way that is inexplainable. Um, if, you're not, if you're not a God-loving man, then it's inexplainable. Because what had happened was, it just so happened that that weekend, there was like a doctor convention that was taking place at that hospital that weekend. It was like a three-day thing. And um, my wife and I were there in the morning, and the way that we are with each other, you know, even in, in the face of this, even doing this, we were, we were talking and we were kind of joking 
with each other, and we were doing something, and we had made one of the nurses kind of laugh, like at us, just because of how we were, you know. And I just, I'm still amazed at how this situation brought us closer together. I can see how it could go either way in whatever situation, but it definitely brought us closer together as a family. And so we were doing something, joking around, and then the nurse was out of the nurse's station, and she was telling the other nurses about the things that we were doing, and they were kind of laughing about it. And the doctors, two of the best hard special, hard tumor specialists in the world, were just standing there. And they heard and they said, what are you talking about? Oh, we're talking about this. And they're like, oh, what, let's, let's look at the case. And so they looked, and uh, we were preparing that day for, we were going to get what's called a T-port, which is like a permanent IV that kind of goes in your chest so that you can start getting chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And then he was going to get this other surgery. I can't remember what it was. Uh, but it was just another dangerous surgery where he's going to have to go under. Um, and they looked at the case, and then they talked to our surgeon, and they talked to our doctor, and they came back to us a couple hours later, and they're like, nope, we're not going to do any of this other stuff. We're not going to do any of it because we decided instead of that, we're going to go in and we're going to just remove it. And so we were like, are you sure? Like, we don't want to have to give him another surgery. And they're like, nope, I think we think this is going to be okay. So later on that week, we had to go, um, and so this was like, it was the 1st of December, and this was kind of the, uh, maybe the 20th, and then so uh, about the 20th of December, he goes in, and our very, very skilled um, surgeon goes in, and she removes 99% of this tumor, and then we get the news that as soon as he recovers, we're going to do a couple more tests, and then we're going to go from there, and then so as soon as he recovered... We were like, uh, you know, he was going to take a couple of days, but he was doing really well. It was, that surgery was actually a little easier than the, than the chest tube biopsy surgery because he didn't bleed as much, and, and he was feeling much better, and everything was going really well. And so we actually were released from the hospital hmm. on the 24th. No, it was the morning of the 24th, so it was Christmas Eve that we got through everything. Everything was looking good. They told us on the 24th, on that Christmas Eve, well, it looks like we've removed this whole thing, and he's not going to need chemotherapy, so you guys can go home. (laughs) A Christmas miracle and more. My gosh. It was. It was amazing. And so we were home for Christmas Day, and it was like, we. I mean, obviously there's still a lot going on in our brains, and there's a lot to recover from. There's a lot to kind of consider, and there's a lot of this stuff. But that was the best Christmas Day I've ever had in my life. That is Um, I mean, it's amazing. That's just fresh and amazing. And we have one more minute, unfortunately. Oh, no. Okay. I know. <laughs> Here you are. You just gave us this beautiful entree and we're like, gobble it down. Um, so you've got to tell us what you want for another minute here. So, I mean, I just want everybody to keep praying for him. Um, he's doing very, very well. He actually starts kindergarten this week, which is like wow. this, both of us are just, uh, both me and my wife are just amazed by this. He is very healthy. He's growing like a weed. And all of these prayers work. And please, if, if anybody out there in the sound of my voice can get any kind of comfort from, from this story and from what we can do, I, I hope that you find that. And uh, always reach out to us at Jason Blastoma on, on Facebook. So it's Facebook slash Jason Blastoma, but his name is spelled J-A-C-E-N. So please find us there and send a message. I'd love to hear from you guys. And we're always posting new updates about him, and he's doing great. His doctors are baffled by this, and they're just always so excited to see us. So. Nice. Miracles absolutely exist. 
You've been listening to KKPZ 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you to my guest, Dave Keita. Many hugs and kisses to his little boy, Jason. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.